Welcome to Saltgrass, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. My name is Ali Hanley. In this episode, we're talking about the Castlemaine Seed Library, located within the Castlemaine Public Library. To talk about this, I'm joined by Grace McCaughey and Eliza Jane Gilchrist, who met with me just around the corner from the library at the Community Garden at Castlemaine Community House. The community garden has been looking very lush and productive lately and is usually a little peaceful oasis in the middle of the township of Castlemaine. And it's a nice place to sit and have lunch or meet with someone. And I thought it would be a lovely setting for our chat. However, our local council has been facilitating live outdoor events as a COVID safe way to support our musicians and let people hear live music again, which had been very much missed throughout all the lockdowns. So they created a pop-up stage about a block away, and as you'll hear, the usual serenity of the community gardens was interrupted as bands were doing sound checks. So you will hear a bit of that in the background. It was a lovely discussion with Grace and Eliza, and we discussed how the seed library began, how it works, as well as big ideas like the value of local seed banks in a changing climate, multinational seed trade, edible weeds and flowers, the resonances between seed collecting and art, and how we can foster a love of gardening and all of the cycles of nature with our next generation of children. As ever, before I begin, I would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on Jara Country. This is the acknowledgement of country that the Seed Library has on their website, and I liked it, so I'm going to read it out to you. Castlemaine Seed Library acknowledges the local Jajawrung people as the first inhabitants and the original farmers, gardeners and custodians of the Loddon River lands, where our members live, work, plant, grow and save seeds. We recognise their continuing connection to this land, rivers and creeks, and to their rich ancient culture. We acknowledge that at the time of European arrival, the totality of the lands that are now known as Victoria were occupied by sovereign Indigenous nations who owned, cared for and enjoyed their land in accordance with their laws, customs and traditions. We acknowledge with full respect the strength and power of all traditional owners, elders, ancestors and young leaders who fight to protect and look after country, community, language and law in the face of ongoing colonial interruptions and cultural genocide. Salt of the Earth people. Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. I thought I would share with you my first experience of using the library. I walked into the public library and went up to the counter to speak with one of the friendly faces there. It was local library legend, Jules, and she was happy to show me the ropes of the seed library and talk about what it's been like to have a seed library within the public library. So how do I go about borrowing some seeds from the seed library? Ah, so um, come over here. So these are the seeds here, so you can take three at a time. So um, I'll let you choose three and then come up to the counter and then we just record them. Great. So we take a few details. And we can go through that when you come up to the counter if you want. Cool. Lettuce. Amaranth. I do love dill. All right. So I got 
corn, coloured variety, mustard, wasabi and lettuce mixture. And okay. some hollyhocks just in. Yes, a bonus. Bonus. Alright, so I give you this little borrowing slip. Okay. I'll let you fill in your info. So we just take a few details for the seed library. If you are able to collect any seeds from these, it would be great if you could bring these varieties back. But if not, you can just bring in some other seeds that you've collected. Okay, cool. Do you know if you've had fenugreek before? Yes, I think we have. Because I've got some of those. Yeah, awesome. Bring it in. They'll yep. love that. For us, it's pretty easy. We don't have to do much. It's really good bang for buck for us because yeah. they run the whole thing. Yeah, great. So all we have to do is this part of it, which is checking out the seeds. Yeah. And then people bring back some seeds and then we put them in that container over there. Yeah. And the seed library crew come in and repackage them up into these bags. Um, so that's basically all we have to do. Yeah. And have you noticed people noticing it and then wanting to talk about it? People definitely have noticed that um, hollyhocks sculpture oh, yeah. was really beautiful. Um, yeah. So that's been great. But yes, people definitely have noticed it. And when we were closed for lockdowns, people wanted access to the seeds. So uh, when we were sort of just open for click and collect in the foyer, we put some seeds out in the foyer so people could still access it. Yeah. People do want to talk about it, to know about it, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Grace, how did you come up with the idea of the seed library? Well, actually, I can't remember how I came up with the idea but I checked up and found that there were very few in Australia. One up in Rockhampton, I think it was, and I contacted them, and the guy there was very, very helpful, sent me a lot of information and so on. But theirs is very small. It involves really a drawer just full of packets of seeds that people bring, and they go straight in the drawer. There's no processing like we do here. Anyway, I, I had the idea, and I approached Heather at the Hub Plot, and she said, oh, Grace, uh, <laughs> we have so much on, you know, we're not about to take on the thing else. I said, look, I don't need any help of any kind apart from just that you will uh, support the idea or perhaps even, you know, have it on their web page or something like that. Mm. So I decided not to bother trying to get funds or anything. I thought, look, I want this to happen, so I'll just do it. So I just went ahead and started working out what I needed. And there's a long list of things. We needed a board, and we needed seeds, and we needed packets. So I looked at all those things. And I went to the tip shop, and I found, you wouldn't believe how lucky one can be, I found this ABC board that had been used for displaying and selling uh, CDs, I presume. And that's it, that's half of it. So I got a guy through Heather to cut it in half and put the lovely shaped end on and fit it. So then I had to work out how to get little hooks that would go on. So I designed a little hook, which is those ones, there's 20 of them, and Jamie Burke from See It Design, he made them for me. Charged me a dollar each, $25. Then I got a guy, another guy, through the hub plot, Mr. Mears from Guildford, to, he's an engineer, to hang it, uh, to install it on the wall. And so there were actually nine different people involved in doing various things to get the library off, of it, to get it going, you know. Yeah. So explain to listeners exactly what the process is. What, to, what can people do with the seat library? 
Okay. Well, the seed library is uh, about getting seeds out to people free of charge. So they borrow seeds, just like you borrow a book, and you just bring the book back. But with the seeds, you actually grow them, let some of them go up to seed, collect those seeds, and bring them back. So that's how it's called a library. And Eliza, you'll be able to tell us how many seed packets we've given out. In, it's been going about five years. It was October five years ago. I've got the figures. So we had a running total from 2020. So in 2020, there were 746 borrowed. And in this year, 892 have been borrowed. I think it's really gone up because yeah. of COVID. I remember you giving a total of about oh, yes. six and a half thousand. Ideas to Eve that uh, time, didn't over, I? Over a period of about five years, five years. I think. Yeah. Six and a half thousand packets to 500 different borrowers. And yeah. I've had one person whom I know come up to me in the street several years ago and say, Grace, I've never grown my own vegetables. I thought I'll have a go, seeing as I can get a packet of seeds for nothing. Instead, I'm growing my own food. I'm picking stuff. And she was so thrilled a bit. So I think that quite a few people are new to, to gardening. So we have a lot who are new. I think you're right. Yeah. But it's a really no-risk starting place, isn't uh, of it? Because you, you, it's not a big investment. Yeah. So yeah, that I, mm -hmm. so I think that's one of our key strengths. Yeah. That people can just yeah. give it a go. And uh, and of course, when new seeds come in that we haven't already got, we have some volunteers who research that, and we have we have found one really good site, an American site, with all the information on, because we put on the seed packets, you see. So much um, info information, here's one, Grace. Yeah, such a lot of information. The information about it, the growing tips, it has position, full sun, so in which season, the width of rows, the spacing of plants, the depth of the seed, and the pH of the soil. So all of that needs to be researched, of course, and that is done, and that's put on a document, and then it's uh, taken to someone else, another volunteer, who actually puts it into this format to go. And these come on pages, and our working bees are about cutting up these, the information to fit the seed packets, and then someone else sticks them on, one for the back and one for the front. And then another little thing goes inside about collecting thank you for borrowing and donating local seeds if you have a good harvest return a larger quantity and so that's about the information how to do it so initially i spent about 179 dollars buying seeds from the lost seeds i researched seed companies and found the lost seed in northern new south wales and they have a lovely philosophy which is fantastic and I thought wow that sounds like me you know so I ordered seeds through them and the value of their seeds was that they're in their packets they have a lot of seeds so we were able to divide them and we wanted enough just for a person like you don't want 25 butternut pumpkins or 25 of almost anything so we divided them up and we were able to multiply our number of seed packets that we put on the board so a young woman turned up at the hub plot one one monday morning and i i talked to strangers you see so we started chatting and and i thought gee this uh, young woman sounds interesting she was married but had no children and she wasn't working because she she wasn't all that well 
And so I said to her, what are you doing after this? Come for lunch. And by the finish of lunch, she was the coordinator of the seed library. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She, that was Dana. She was the Dana. first one. Yeah. So Dana, Dana was wonderful. Morrissey, Dana, yeah. she's a graphic designer. So she actually designed our label and she designed that poster that you got a photograph just recently and she had a big poster that we put out on our Working Bee Days. She did all of that and she did the layout for the labels. She's just made our website. And she's just been funded by the Shire, that right, to do our new website, which has actually gone online. Yep. Just gone online, and it's wonderful. It's and very lovely. for anyone listening out there, go on that website and look at, what is it with all the extra external sites of interest or something? Links. 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 The links are unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good website. Yeah, yeah. it's great. When you first started, did you find you had to explain a lot to people or did you get a lot of interest straight away? What was the public response initially? Uh, well, I'm not sure. We, I think Dana did a lot of the communication stuff. So we sent information out to the Hub Plot people and to the community garden people, the community house, uh, Growing Abundance and quite a few others. And then we also produced a little leaflet, I think, just a small, a third of a trifold, double-sided, at the library, so people could take those away. There were hundreds and hundreds of those that were picked up. And so one way and another, it just started multiplying. And then people told other people, and so it's just snowballed, really. Firstly, you have to be a member of the library to join the seat. Right? So they got a few new library members. <laughs> Secondly, when they borrow uh, only three packets per season, per person, per family. So they record that. The library has a book where they record them. I think that was it, that the folder was on the front there. Mm-hmm. That. So they record that. That's one thing. The other thing that happens, I'm not sure why this has changed. We used to have a box at the side of the seed library with a slot in it for returned seeds to go in there. But now returned seeds go to the The library front desk and the people have their names and details on that already. So, So, well, I'll tell you why that was changed was because people, I had a few seed packs that were kind of mysterious seeds. One of of them in particular was called honey peas and I'm like, oh, honey peas, they sound good. But when I was Googling honey peas, I couldn't find any information and it's really hard to put the seeds out if you don't know what they are because people want to grow what they mm-hmm. think that they're growing. So I made up a little donation slip as well as the borrower's slip in a similar way so that the idea is that when they, if people give me a contact and I don't know what the seed is or what you do with it or when you plant it, then I can get in touch with them and get a few more details. That's clever. And build up as well, build up our database of donors, people who are going to give us seed. It is kind of a pull the threads together a bit. And is there any risk in terms of diseases that can come through seeds into people's gardens, like from one garden to another through the seeds? Is that a consideration? Well, we haven't actually considered that, but certainly we make sure the seeds look good. First of all, the seeds are all local, and that's part of the advantage of a seed library is that we build up a a massive amount of seeds that are held in in hundreds of people's gardens that are adapted to the local conditions. And there's probably 
less uh, chance of disease coming in because of that. So I haven't had any reports of anyone having any disease problems or anything like that particularly, unless you may have. I haven't had any feedback like that, but I have had people sometimes being concerned about if something is a weed, is considered to be a weed, oh, yes. which I think is a bit, you, you know, there's some justification in that concern mm -hmm. because some plants, even if they are edible, they are, you, plants, they make millions of seeds and they're very well adapted to floating around everywhere so yeah people have to be a bit careful that i think that's an issue that we all have to think about in our gardens mm -hmm. and yeah just where the seeds are going and how they're spreading and i think we all have a responsibility to be informed about that yeah yeah i think one classic example is one right in front of us here that big tall plant it's uh, two two and a half meters tall with the yellow seeds at the moment, that's fennel. Fennel produces, there's probably, I don't know, 100,000 seeds on that one plant. Mm. And a lot of them will end up various places. They'll come up all over the place here. And in fact, they'll come up, you may have seen this growing along the roadside. So it's it's a, a very weedy thing. So the, you have to make sure you collect those seeds at the right time and the ones you don't use, dispose of. Tastes or great, whatever. though. I love fennel. Of course. <laughs> India, they, they have a little fennel thing on every fennel cafe seeds. table. Fennel oh, yeah, nice. For uh, chewing after you eat. They clean your mm. teeth, you see. So. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> they help with digestion, too, apparently. Oh, yeah, yeah, digestive, yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the more successful the plant, the more it's likely to be called a weed. <laughs> yes, that's quite true. But the other thing about weeds is we're becoming more knowledgeable about weeds. And so, for example, dandelions and some, what are some of the others, uh, milkweed and various things, are actually edible mm. and they're very good for your health. And a yeah. lot of them have are loaded with vitamins and minerals. So we're uh, getting to the stage where we eat, eat yeah. more weeds, you know, mm. which is... They're easy to grow usually, so... <laughs> yeah, because that's right, they're very easy to grow, yeah. 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 We're not quite doing dandelion seeds at the seed library yet. No. <laughs> no, you've got to be careful. Yeah, I, I work in a tea place and we sell all sorts of weeds in there. We sell St John's wort, which is considered a noxious weed. Yeah. And it's it's a bright yellow, you see fields of it across yeah. Mount Tarangower and yes. Leanganook. But it's very good for you in some contexts, you've got to be careful how you take it. Yeah. But there's a lot of things like, yeah, as you said, dandelion, nettle, all these things. Yeah. Nettles are lovely, stir-fried with yeah. garlic. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Right. And like you say, so easy to grow. They just yeah. grow themselves, yeah. in fact. They just come up. Yeah. really amazed me about flowers. How much tougher, because this is my first year growing flowers, how much tougher flowers are than vegetables. Yes. Like vegetables need so much cosseting compared to flowers. And, and somehow, you know, because flowers are often very kind of frilly and delicate you think oh they're the ones that need looking after yeah. but tough as, tough, tough as anything yeah yeah, yeah they're tough <laughs> and uh, they grow very easily and those flowers of course are edible as well yeah some and, of them are yeah in fact my neighbor just told me a few weeks back I have a begonia big begonia covered in red flowers and said you know you can eat them and we tasted them and they are so beautiful very tart wonderful in salads you know Great. begonia flowers Brilliant. So I'm all for weeds and flowers in vegetable gardens and 
eat some of them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And my bees love the dandelions. Oh, yeah. 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 Very happy with the weeds in my garden. <laughs> <laughs> I had a housemate plant a bunch of calendula flowers, which are very good companion plants for a lot of vegetables. Absolutely. And they're beautiful in salads. It just adds this gorgeous orange yeah. sort of scattering yeah. through a green salad. Look, the other thing, if I could say something about seeds, yeah. every single human being on Earth eats seeds every day, either directly or indirectly. Mm. Even babies drink mother's milk and the mother's milk has come from a mother who ate seeds that day, you know. <laughs> so they're pretty important. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to clarify what you mean by that in terms of, I'm assuming you mean most people are eating wheat or yeah. oats? Yeah, or yeah. Grain. Oats, seeds, linseeds, yeah. flax seeds, uh, pepita seeds, sunflower seeds, and all the grains, you know, yeah. rice seeds. So everything. Yeah. And then following on from that, the sad thing is that the vast majority of seeds around the world are sold by, I think it's three major seed companies, huge seed companies. And also vast majority of those are patented, but they're crossbreds as well and they don't breed oh, true. Yeah. So when you buy Hybrids, um, yeah. F1 generation or modified seeds at your nursery, or even seedlings from those seeds, they won't, the seeds from those uh, won't breed true. Necessarily, so, sometimes they do, but they're not, uh, they don't have to. No, yeah, they, they don't, generally they don't, but they don't always, as you say, yeah. sometimes they do. Mm. Yeah, you could be lucky, but. Yeah, you so, can't guarantee it. So what, a seed, what seed libraries do all around the world and seed banks and that sort of thing, they do keep these old seeds mm. pure and unpollinated and not crossed. Uh, so they will breed true and, and that's pretty important. in the hands of the people. In the hands of the people. It's the people. In the gardens will. of the people. Yeah. Yeah, the politics that's of it are great actually. I oh, really yes. and, and yes. I know that Grace is very political. <laughs> I really value that you brought that up because it's such an important issue, especially when companies are starting to copyright or patent seeds, yeah. which should be just common, like everyone should be able to access the next generation of life. Yeah. That's right. Because also where did they come from? You know, they came from the the earth yeah how can you say i own this that's yeah. absurd and well, creating seeds that don't don't rise. reproduce yeah. Yeah. yeah that's very um, cynical i don't like that most of the old seeds are in the hands of indigenous and native peoples all around the world and small farmers small family farmers now i belong to la via campesina which represents 200 million peasant farmers around the world in a uh, hundred and something countries they're based in Zimbabwe at the moment, but next year it's going to be based in Sweden, apparently. And reading their newsletter once a month, I have read one thing that has stuck in my mind, and it is, and this comes from the United Nations, and that is that 70% of the world's food is grown by indigenous people, native people, small family farms, using about 30% or less of resources. The other 30% is produced by agribusiness, big agribusiness, which uses so many resources, so many inputs, mm -hmm. fertilizers, what Foss have you, and the fossil whole fuel lot. dependent. Fossil fuel dependent, plus they're all grown on big, big farms, centralized mm. in various places, yeah. and stuff has to tran transport thousands of kilometers to its destination. Seed libraries and native people feed their local villages, a seed library feeds the people around Castlemaine, this one, and so the food doesn't travel. And this is where 
it saves so much fossil fuels. We talked as well about how during the pandemic a lot of issues were around food security. People ought to be able to, you know, the supermarket shelves being empty. So great to know that you can just grow your own food, go to your back garden. And we're in the country, so most people do have a back garden. You can feed your family and it's organic food as well. So, which often is a bit expensive. So getting- It's expensive, but it's not any more expensive to grow. That's exactly so. Yeah, 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 exactly so. In fact, it's cheaper without all those fertilizers and sprays, you know, (laughs) (laughs) And we we don't want that stuff. Anyway, yeah, you can pick the caterpillars off. Yeah. Yeah. And as well, so good for you mentally to be working in your garden. So it was a real great upsurge in gardening for the last couple of years. We've seen it here with the Seed Library. Yeah. And interestingly, one point, I read one report on that by Sustain, and it said that the biggest age cohort of new uptake of gardening during COVID was in the 18 to 24 age group, yeah. which I found absolutely interesting. And, and wonderful. It is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the kind of a local food resilience. Yeah, next generation. Gardening yeah. as yeah. resistance kind of stuff that we really want to see the young kids getting stuck into yeah. and feeling really great about that. We've had to accept enormous change in the last two years. I think it's been a big lesson for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have found that they're actually happier with less, having less than what they've had in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am hope that grows and grows because that's where it all is. I'll ask you, Eliza, what your role is now and why you've decided to come on board. Well, now I am the coordinator. Dana Morrissey was the first coordinator. Then we, after Dana, Dana had a baby, beautiful little Ruby. And then Susan took over, Susan Keller. And then Susan became unwell. And then I took over about a year ago from Susan. And the reason was I'm an artist. So the reason was during COVID, a lot of my work dried up. So I had a lot more time on my hands. So I emailed the Sea Library and said, I can give you a hand if you like. And they were, everyone was so busy that they didn't get back to me. So I thought, oh, this organization's, they're quite, they're quite stretched. So I thought, okay, well, I, I can help here. I love the idea of the Sea Library. I was a working bee volunteer because as an artist, you get very used to looking for opportunities and being opportunistic. And of course, Seeds is a great opportunity for sharing and generosity and getting something for nothing, which is something I'm very keen on. <laughs> so you turned up at a working bee. So it working was a few working bees. So I was on the list. So I had met Susan and I'd met Dana too. And I think I'd probably met you. But anyway, that's how I began. I, I suggested that we put in a grant to the local council to get more people, just kind of consolidate the amount of people, because there's lots of people who are involved in the seed library in some way, even if it's just borrowing the seeds, donating seeds, coming to a working bee. There's loads of people who are participating, but to consolidate the group somewhat so that if someone did become ill, then there would be other people who could kind of step in. So we put in a grant to have a website We were linked with Growing Abundance, which was great, and we were a page on their website, we were a page on the library's website, and we were a page on the Hub Plots website. But I thought it'd be really great if we had our own website, and 
so we put in a grant to do that and then as a fundraising and a kind of community building exercise we asked for some funds to help us run a seedling sale because of course we've got the seeds we thought we can grow <laughs> seedling we've got the expertise we've got some amazing this is one of them we've got some amazing gardeners in the in the organization so we decided to have a seedling sale as a fundraiser and which we did in September, yes. didn't we? October, it was the fifth birthday. It was oh, our yes. little fifth yes. birthday. Yes. And that's what Dana made the website for. So we, so we actually were able to train up Dana. So we got the funds. We were able to train up Dana to learn how to do that, which is great to be able to train your volunteers. Yeah. It's a really lovely thing. And she made the most gorgeous website for us. And we had all these growers growing cedars. That was the best fun, wasn't it? Just it was. some people just went crazy. There were so many seedlings. It we was because we thought, yeah, thousand with thousand dollars. Yeah. Mm. And we, because I had just assumed, I didn't want to pressure anyone. So I just thought we'll just get lots of people and they just could grow like maybe 10 little punnets of something, you know, something small. Modest. And there were people coming with, Ute loads <laughs> of seedlings. It was while it was. My car was stacked two two tiers. At the yeah, there were two tiers <laughs> of your son's ute. Oh yes, it was that. We had to bring the big ute. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. And it was it was great fun, and people were really, you know, we were at Wesley Hill Market. People were really supportive, and you know, yeah. all joined in, and there was such a variety of stuff. Yeah, that was really mm. good. Fun. It was a great uh, sort of uh, capacity building exercise yeah, as well. I think, I think you probably have a, a really good uh, lot of people there to draw from for for volunteers, for yeah, doing whatever stuff. you want to do. Yes, you know? yeah, so it was really useful from that point of view. Mm. I, I do feel mm. like there's a team kind of, you know, yeah. emerging from there. Yeah. People mm. to take on roles, doing the labels. We've got people doing the labels for us, doing the research for us. Yeah. yeah. You obviously need little envelopes and you need to print things and stick things. And how did you fund all of that from the start? Oh, well, look, I funded myself happily the start of it. And then I can't remember where the next lot of funding came, but I think we sold a harp. Yes. Oh, yeah. We sold a harp for $600, which I had made. <laughs> you made a harp? I made a harp, yeah. <laughs> With Andy Rigby, Andy and James Rigby, the wow. brothers. And in fact, we made two. My partner made one as well. Anyway, the yeah, the harp was we put it in the library and put it on the market. And and the guy who helped me make it, or who ran the workshop where I made it, Andy bought it, <laughs> <laughs> bought it back. So it was well made. <laughs> and he and he knew it. Yeah, he knew, <laughs> yeah, he knew so it very well. Yeah. And so there was initial outlay for seeds as well. But is it now self-sustaining in terms of seeds? Yes, it is. But that also gives us some. There's a there's a lovely serendipity about that about not knowing. What what you're going to get so it's a bit like Christmas when you go in and see what people have left you yeah but there's some kind of downsides of it as well in that for example you will get to uh, September and you don't have lots of tomato seeds and you really want lots of tomato seeds because everyone wants to plant their tomatoes so there's a bit of demand and sort of the, the donating side of it I would like to 
get a little bit more figured out. Yeah. So one of the things that we're looking at doing is consolidating our links with community gardens so that we can get them to be our chief donators and mm -hmm. there's a bit of coordination needed with that mm -hmm. but you know for example this garden could they could give us the fennel seeds for starters they do I mean they do <laughs> donate but you know we could sort of say look we'd really like you to supply us with your tomatoes or but it's mm -hmm. great when we've got some astonishingly generous individual donors I tell you a great donor gave us a whole bunch of seeds as a chap in Bendigo called Greg who has a company called Useful Seeds and he does lots of he sells the seeds but he does lots of seed trials so he donated heaps of seeds to the seed library that were his trials that were still good but they weren't the kind of the one that he selected so he's really into d the diversity of and genetics yeah breeds. and the yeah. and the genetics of the seeds so they are hybrids but he's breeding for specific characteristics that are going to succeed they're going to be fail safe in this climate yeah. so for example he breeds all these melons and has these trials and selects the best ones and so then he has lots of seeds as a consequence of this because he's always selecting the best ones that he's going to grow on from and he very generously donated heaps of seeds to us from his trials so we get some really unusual things in the seed library we were talking weren't we about how there were something like 20 different varieties of seeds on the seed library of yeah. you know malabar spinach three types of beans you know several yeah. types of this is just each season as well uh, that, that's another thing by the way the seeds is available change uh, and we change it at the time when people would normally be planting for the spring or yeah. the summer or yeah. the winter that's right yeah. so what you find on the board you can put in but you might need to for example the the tomatoes uh, were there in September but of course they won't grow in the ground in September we do a newsletter that's the other thing that we funded with our grant is I've been doing a newsletter once a month and in that we talk about what's on the board what what people are doing in their gardens that month and mm -hmm. so it is if you are a new grower you can you do join up to the mailing list and you can get practical information to help you you know learning from other gardeners because they're really such a generous bunch of people with knowledge <coughs> and I always encourage people if they're new to come to the working bee because there are some amazing volunteers there they just sit and pack seeds and talk about what they're trying and what's growing what's going well yeah. what's not worth trying what's not worth bothering with and it's a great learning experience of working bees mm -hmm. i learn something every time yeah yeah and also talk about your interviews uh, you do an interview once a month with the gardener. i do yes i do a, a little seg my little segment it's my favorite thing it's called a walk around the garden with whoever i'm walking around the garden with and in the newsletter, yes, in the newsletter. And I go to their garden and they walk me around their garden and they tell me all the things that they love about it and what's in the ground, what they're trying. So there's lots of really practical information there. And I take photos and then I sort of put it in as a little segment in the newsletter. And it's a really lovely thing to do and people... People love it. Yeah, and... and there was one when it was spring I went to the community garden with Annalise who's one of our volunteers at the working beach she's got a little tiny gardener called Oscar who's four and he he was telling me all about his 
patch and what he's growing and where's this growing pulling things out and he always oh, was hilarious oscar's lovely in fact oscar inspired me to do something i was chatting to oscar one day and asked him what he was growing in his garden and he told me about all these things primulas and everything and I said what color primulas oh orange red all sorts of colors even black you know and I said oh that's wonderful Oscar you know and I was so inspired that I started looking at what can be done or what is available for children and gardening and I discovered quite a lot I discovered for example that CSIRO produced a book I should have brought a copy with me a rather nice book on soil science for children and it's got some beautiful original drawings and a good language suitable for children and I have this vision, in fact I'm doing a bit of research on this at the moment about how it can happen, a vision of teaching children from three about soil science because it is so absolutely fascinating. For example, in a handful of soil there are more microbiota than there are people on the planet. That's nine billion in a handful of soil. Now, with the help of microscopes, of course, because the vast majority are, are invisible, I think I find it fascinating. I know that children will find it fascinating, mm. seeing these tiny, tiny little things actually moving, but you can't see them, but they're actually moving, mm. and they're doing important work, you know. And I think soil science could be made to be a wonderful subject. From three-year-olds at that level, increase the level each year, right up to year 12 they should do soil science. Mm. Because mycorrhiza that I'm studying a bit at the moment, fungi, it's just uh, unbelievable what I've been reading, how they actually work with each other, work with the roots of plants to get the minerals into the plants and even if you have a leaf that looks as if it's got fungi on it, as we do in some things, curly leaf, that fungi was put there by another type of bacteria. They've worked with another type of bacteria to get that fungi there. So bacteria work together with fungi, and fungi work with the roots of plants. And in fact, there's a lovely diagram, and it shows there are 47 trees, but here's the major tree, the big mother-father tree, okay? And that father-mother tree, prepare to call it, is linked to the other 47 trees with mycorrhiza. They're all linked together. And they help to feed each other, they help to grow each other. If they get sick, they help each other out with uh, better bacteria or whatever they need. And so it's, I'm only just beginning, you know, but, and I'm reading that book. I know a group in Melbourne, actually, called the Scale Free Network. They do art projects. If you come across them, oh, they're lovely. It's a couple of scientists and an artist and they have microscopes and they get the kids in white jackets and then they look at water or soil under microscopes and then they make drawings and imagery based on what they can see through the microscope. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's a, really, it's a really great project. Now, Eliza, I am curious about you as an artist and how this seed library and all these plants are such a fundamental part of your art practice. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself as an artist? Yeah, I make sculpture and I make sculpture out of cardboard. And how I came to that was, well, one, because it, there's a lot of it around, and two, because it's rubbish. And I wanted to think about what we value and I wanted to challenge what we value and try and get people to uh, make some reassessment about 
where value lies and also where beauty lies. Cardboard is not a very beautiful thing so I was kind of uh, making the point that what is beautiful is what we lavish our attention on and we can create beauty through our creativity and through the time we spend and yeah and just through kind of like loving something so that, that, those were the things I was thinking about. So I started making plant forms. That they're, they're kind of abstracted, but they're based on plant forms. And the connection there was that cardboard used to be a tree. So my kind of notion there was that cardboard remembers being a plant and it wants to reform into these organic shapes. So I started building these sort of large abstract cardboard plant forms that I was thinking of as the kind of ghosts of plants that used to be or, or like the fossils or something and so then I started looking a lot at seeds and plant shapes because I'm quite new to gardening this garden I have here is the first garden I've ever had so for me I had taken it very much for granted you know I would just walk past this green stuff flowers nice whatever you know but I never really looked as closely as you can look and saw the variety of forms the the complexity of forms the intricacy so that was really such an eye-opener for me and so fascinating as a sculptor to to work out formally how to construct those things because the, the the shapes are all hollow so they're like shells so I'm doing some kind of complicated patterning that makes these shapes structurally yeah exactly so yeah and so when I'm thinking about the seeds or how this kind of links conceptually for me with the seeds is to do with aesthetics is to do with beauty and value so these seeds are tiny tiny little things and so easily lost or not noticed or yeah or dispersed it's like that notion of lavishing attention on something or giving something your full attention you have to gather them and find them and know what you're looking for the other thing you have to do is you have to leave them on this plant until the plant has matured to a certain stage and that often is quite sort of raggedy and, and ugly looking but of course that's when it you know that's when the seed is mature and that's when so you have to wait for it so there's all these notions that to me seem to tie in with the things that I'm making with appreciating very very tiny things noticing very very tiny things understanding that very very tiny things are very very important and then giving them to other people to learn all those same things to feel that same kind of enchantment and excitement because it's actually terribly exciting that you sort of sprinkle this dust on the ground and you water it and whoa things grow yeah it's an extraordinary <laughs> miracle that we just take for granted because it just happens all the time but actually when you're the person who's made it happen crikey that's just fantastic so yeah i love everything about see and just kind of as well aesthetically they are so beautiful and varied and so so clever the ways that they have evolved to move themselves around yeah windborne or sticking on your fur or you know just the clever clever things that they can do to get themselves around the place you know plants they're static but you know you find them here there and everywhere in the garden mm -hmm. so you know there's clever stuff going on 
like winged seeds, seeds yeah. with wings. I know, extraordinary, yeah. They can go on the wind. And that, those kind of physics is just really, yeah. you know, there's so much to learn. Yeah, that's huge. Mm. And uh, so the thing I'm worrying about with fitting this into a junior curriculum is what do you replace, what do you leave out, you know, in a curriculum to fit in this sort of information which is basic, but even half an hour, half an hour a week. But also, I feel like our schools these days are very oriented to sitting at a desk and doing something still. And children are not designed to be still. Humanity is not designed to be still. We're designed to move all the time. And I think getting kids out into a garden is A, teaching them how to feed themselves and B, helping them move their bodies, gain confidence, all that stuff. I do a lot of work with kids in workshops where we make things, making sculpture, and I know that you learn through your hands. You know, it's this connection to from your brain to your hands that is the fastest way of learning anything. So there's yeah. all kinds of stuff that kids are learning when they're just using their hands yeah. and using their brains and having fun. But also, imagine your biology classes at school. Instead of learning on a whiteboard or a blackboard, yeah. you're actually in the garden and your teacher has just taught you all about cell structure in a plant or how mm. microcilium works under the soil yes. and then you're in the garden and you're holding it and you're planting something yeah. and you've got a project that spans a whole year so you yeah. see the full yeah. cycle yeah. and maths you can you can count things you can expand things you can chart things yeah. on a graph you know there's all sorts of ways you could cooking. build it in curriculum yeah, yeah. with uh, the really Stephanie cool. Alexander program was wonderful from that point of view children yeah. cooking I remember one mother at uh, one primary school here telling me how she said oh we need an egg and three or four kids said, I'll go and get the egg so they go out and pick the eggs from the chook pen you know and they come in and use it and, but they're weighing things and they're following recipes or making up recipes. So it's really just uh, uses so many of uh, their talents, develops so many new talents for them, you know. It's just, and the learning experience sticks much better when you've actually used your hands, you know, doesn't it? Yeah. I was just going to say one thing yeah. about a really lovely, because I answer the emails. I got a really lovely email just recently from this chap. Don't know, not got a clue who he is. Quite often when I've sent out the, the monthly email then I get a little flurry of emails back just telling me stuff and one guy said I got some pink poppies from the sea library and they're the showstopper in my garden and everyone comments on them and it was just a really lovely short email where it was just I just felt yeah that's what we're that's what we're trying to do. oh and that on that topic I should just say because we because vegetables was our starting point mm -hmm. but because I have bees I really felt, and I read a really great article that uh, Grace sent me about loss of uh, biodiversity. So I thought to myself, oh, and one, and somebody randomly gave us a whole load of hollyhock seeds, and we don't usually take flower seeds, but like I was saying before, you don't know what you're going to get. It's a very serendipitous moment to go and find out what people have left. Hollyhock seeds, masses of hollyhock seeds, somebody's favorite plants, hollyhocks. And so I thought I will make, we'll, we've got to push the hollyhocks and people have got to get more biodiversity in the gardens in terms of insect and pollinators. And because we've recently had bees, I have just started growing flowers. Oh my God, what a world. And uh, <laughs> that's really blown my mind. So 
I thought I would make a display, a special display of hollyhocks because they're really great sculptural kind of structural plants. So I made a cardboard plant. hollyhock and put it in the library and made it at the base of it. I made a little segments that you could put all the seeds in. And those seeds have been going, every time I go in there, it's completely empty. So every time, about twice a week, there's 30 seeds in there and they're gone. <laughs> and then we've done mixed annuals, sunflowers, hollyhocks, and uh, yeah, the flowers have been ridiculously popular. So which is just fantastic because of course, pollinators, the little insects, insect life is so reduced decimated at the moment we do really have to just yeah watch out for the little critters yeah we have to build up that population to have a more balanced ecology of plants and and it's much better for the uh, for the plants anyway to have those companion plants yeah it does help point of view of health you know yep. and um, yep and then it goes sort of all the way up the food chain if there's less for the birds to eat yeah. there's less birds if yeah. there's less birds there's less you know blah 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 mm. we all know how the it's all so interconnected the future the, the future, future of seed libraries in australia well we're very keen we've helped other groups get going a volunteer from wood end came and sat in in one of our thursday working bees and she went back and uh, got a few people together and started a seed library there. So there's a few more mm. have come as a result of what, what's happened here. And uh, we have considered setting up an organization and doing things to help other people set up Some libraries. Some information, yeah. But there's heaps, there's heaps to do yeah. and places to go. Yeah. I always think about, Grace had this great idea about having a, a National Seed Day. Because I can just think of all the educational or all the art ways of talking, using, working, drawing, mm -hmm. making, just kind of really focusing in on seeds in, in lots of different ways. The cooking connection is really obvious, but then there's other, other ways that, to engage with it because they're really fascinating. Would you like to comment on the importance of a project like this in terms of our changing climate? Yes, well, already the climate, climate change has had an enormous effect on growing food and wine and so on in Victoria. I know that even as long as about 10 years ago, Brown Brothers up north bought land in Tasmania because some of their grapevines would not grow in the warming climate. That's just one example. But we're finding, for example, more and more people have to put up shade cloth in the summer to protect their, their tomatoes mainly and mm. basil and things. And we've got uh, fruit fly now. Yeah, we have fruit fly. And all of these are really connected to climate change and global heating. Fruit fly, you know, usually was, was not known in Victoria because people were stopped from bringing fruit into the state. And so we rarely had outbreaks, but now we've got it. it was too cold it. as far as... I, yeah. I understood that it was too cold before. Yeah, that is right. But now, you see, fruit fly has, is quite common around here. And so even in Newstead in our garden, we have to put up fr fruit fly traps each year and what have you. But not just that, I think more diseases and what have you that live in warmer climates, slightly warmer climates, you know, fish, as you probably know, are moving. Some fish are found in Tasmania now that have never been found before. They used to come from northern New South Wales. They lived up there, but they're moving down because the water's getting too warm up there, and so they've moved to Tasmania. Now, all Australians can't move to Tasmania, so we have to work out other means of doing that. 
And so if we grow local seeds, mm. local food from locally produced seeds, each year they will become gradually will become adapted to a warming climate. And so we should be able to continue to grow them here year after year after year for a long time. Now, do you want to add to that? I was just going to say keeping them circulating because, of course, they're alive. So Mm. uh, to keep planting them, keeping them viable is not keeping them in because we can't store them in optimum conditions. Mm -hmm. They are alive. So to keep them in the ground growing. And then that's that's what creates the adaptability, isn't it? Yes, they adapt. Yeah. And so that uh, we will reach the stage where seeds bought from northern New South Wales, perhaps or Queensland, won't grow down here. Yeah, I think local food systems is so where we want to be going. I know that other people will have spoken to you about seasonability, you know, and this is what growing your own veg does, is it educates you about the seasonal Mm -hmm. nature of what you can grow, and that's gonna change your food, that's gonna change your eating habits. Yeah. Definitely. About 25% of people in the UK, I read recently, have seven meals that they eat for each day of the week and they eat them every Monday. They have this, every Friday they have fish and they don't have, they don't have a wide range yes. of foods in those things. I've worked out that I personally need to eat 40 different foods a week, not including herbs and spices and so on. 40 different foods a week. For gut health. For gut health. I've read about this as well, yeah. 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 Part of the research I'm doing at the moment, I'm looking at soils, this is why I'm doing the soil thing, to work out, for example, there's 114 elements in the periodic table. I find out that, that there's 83 of those in soil. I think every one of them is in the soil, even gold and titanium and all that stuff is in the soil. Okay, so if you grow food in that soil with a wide range of vitamins in it, minerals, that food will have a wide range of minerals, will have those 83 minerals in them. And if you eat a wide range of those foods, you're likely to get more of those 83 minerals, which mm. you need for your body. Yes. To reach organ to yes. function. Your heart needs calcium and phosphorus, for example, to keep the heart pump going and yeah, things like yeah. that. And so if you eat a narrowed thing, this is why I believe people are, are chronically ill. We are increasingly becoming unhealthy because we don't eat a wide range of vegetables. From healthy soil. From healthy soil. That's the yeah. important bit, Ali, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the more of those you can grow at home, of course, the better it is still because it's organic and it hasn't travelled. Yeah. And it's fresh. Traveling you can go and pick it fresh. and cook it, you know. Yeah, I like that as well from an experimental um, point of view, mm-hmm. that it's easy to make an experiment. When you're picking up a seed pack from the library, you can go, oh, amaranth, I'll give that a go. Whereas if you saw that in a seed catalogue, you might be like, mm, I don't know if I've got room for that in my garden because yeah. I don't know what it is and I don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, can, it can encourage people to be more experimental and adventurous. That was Grace McCaughey and Eliza Jane Gilchrist. And I hope you've enjoyed today's show all about the Castlemaine Seed Library. Don't forget that there are links to many of the things discussed in the show notes on the podcast and at saltgrasspodcast.com. For those of you listening on Main FM or 3MDR, just remember that you can listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your preferred podcasting app. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Please subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. Again, you can do that by going to saltgrasspodcast.com.
www.mainfm.com. This program was made possible with support from Main FM and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name is Alison Hanley. Thanks for listening. Salt. Salt of the Earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Salt Grass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.